Amen. My name is uh, Colin Provart, and uh, I have the, the privilege of serving as a pastor here at Salt City Church. Uh, we are continuing in our Sons of the Faith series. We're starting our third and final book of the series, uh, the book of Titus. And so if you have a Bible, would you turn to Titus? We're going to cover uh, chapters 1 and 2 this morning. As you turn there, uh, more than, well, being a pastor at Soul City is, is awesome, but specifically I get to serve in uh, our college ministries, one of our college ministries, Salt Company. I get to serve on the Minneapolis team, so I have the privilege of working with Abby. And then um, the reason I gave my last name is Rachel Provart. The other woman that was up here is my wife. And so uh, we, uh, we love Salt Company. I love Rachel. Um, it's awesome. Uh, but Salt Company, uh, the reason we call our ministry Salt Company is it's not an acronym. Uh, we get it from Matthew 5, 13, where Jesus calls his disciples to be the salt of the earth. And so our prayer is that the students in our ministry would be salt to the campuses uh, that they go to, that they would uh, be on that campus for, for the betterment of the, the other students on the campus, that they would be uh, a preserving influence for the gospel on the campus, uh, that they would flavor the campus with the goodness of Jesus. It's, it's kind of a weird illustration, using salt as an illustration that Jesus uses in Matthew 5, but it's a, it's a good illustration at the same time. It's weird, but it's good because the diversity of uses for salt, then and now. So salt was used as a preserving influence before refrigeration existed. It was used as a type of fertilizer for the ground. We as Minnesotans know uh, we love when salt goes on roads because it makes it drivable. And as we all know, uh, you can't have a good batch of french fries without salt. It, it flavors food. So salt has a uh, diversity of uses. That's why Jesus uses the illustration in Matthew 5.13. It has different functions. It's multifaceted. And in the same way this morning, we're going to see in Titus 1 and 2, that God's grace is similar to salt. It has a diversity of functions, two in particular. It has two purposes. The grace of God has two primary purposes, and that is to save us and to train us. To save us and to train us. And so we're actually going to start uh, in our text this morning at the, at the end. So we're, we're covering Titus 1 and 2. We're going to start at the end of Titus 2 in verse 11. This is what it says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the, Lord, of the, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So Paul, similar to the books of First and Second Timothy, Paul writes this book to another pastor by the name of Titus. 
And we see from Paul's words that God's grace intends both to save us and to train us. Let's look back for just a second at verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So first, grace appears to bring salvation, to to save God's people. But then verse 12 goes on to say, training us. So there's a training element to grace, to renounce ungodliness, and then goes on to say, to live godly lives in the present age. So grace has appeared, yes, to save us, but also to train us. Verse 14, this is what it says, who gave himself for us. But the ultimate act of grace was Jesus going to the cross on our behalf, giving all of himself for us. That is a gift that we get to receive. Why? To redeem us from all lawlessness. So the first reason Jesus gave himself, showed us grace, is to redeem us. But then it also says, and to purify for himself a people. So this is the idea that we're going to come back to this morning. That God's grace saves us and it trains us. It saves us and it trains us. But American religiosity has, I think, really distorted this idea by picking a side. It picks a saving side or a training side. Let me give you a a couple examples. There are American evangelical churches that overly focus on on the saving grace of God. Now, I want to clarify that we at Salt City preach and believe in in the saving grace of God, that that salvation is by grace, grace through faith exclusively. But if the teaching of grace stops only at saving, and that's where discipleship ends, that's where teaching ends, then they're then we're missing part of it. That's not biblical grace. Because biblical grace, yes, saves us, but it also trains us. A grace that simply saves me from the future penalty of sin, but does nothing to help me, to empower me to fight my sin, now is not actually that sweet of a gift. If all that grace does is simply save me in the future, but does nothing to help my current circumstance of being enslaved to my own sin, that's not that sweet. So we need to be weary of a grace that's promises are solely future-oriented. But there's another type of damaging grace, and it's the opposite side of the one I previously stated. And that is that grace trains us exclusively. Or another way to say that is that grace allows us to fight our sin and earn our own salvation. That grace is like a tool given to us, and then our responsibility with that tool is to use it in order to construct our own salvation of good works. That's also not biblical grace. But I think I fall into that way of thinking a lot. That somehow the way I earn my favor with God is by seeing it, seeing what Jesus has done for me, and then by working really hard to be a good person to earn my standing with God. But that's not what the gospel is. 
And if that's what it was, I would be so doomed because I'm growing in my awareness of my own inadequacy that if it was dependent even a little bit on my ability to save myself, even with the help of a tool of grace, I would be doomed. But what we will see today is God's grace is different. Biblical grace is different. The gift that God gives us is that he completely saves us exclusively by faith. And then that faith that leads to my salvation also leads to the training of godliness. That my, the evidence of my saving faith is that I'm now empowered to fight the sin that I used to struggle with. Another way to say that is that we are at, at faith, at salvation, we are saved from the penalty of sin. And then the consequence of that grace is that we're empowered to fight the power of sin. So we're growing in our ability to, to fight the power of sin and that we live with the hope that one day we'll be completely free from the presence of sin. So I just want to be it's really clear as to what we believe here at Salt City. We believe that no one earns the favor of God. That the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that he went to the cross for sinful people like us. And the only way we receive salvation is by putting our faith in that. In the death and resurrection of Jesus in the atonement that he's given us, the, the righteousness that he's given us. But inevitably, when he gives us his righteousness, we begin to live more godly lives. That the consequence of my salvation is I begin to live a more godly life. That he loves us, he loves us enough to save sinful people, but he also loves us enough to not let us stay in the state of sin that we're saved from. So Paul says something similar to Titus in chapter 1. So we're going to flip back to, to the beginning of chapter 1. This is what it says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So again, Paul's saying the, the same thing. God has chosen people, and he has saved those people, but he has saved those people so that they might have knowledge that accords with godliness. That you can't have salvation, a, a saving grace, without also having a training grace. You can't have one without the other. And you can't train to, towards salvation without having first been gifted salvation. They're, they need each other. Paul goes on in verse 4. To say this, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and, G and Christ Jesus our Savior. And says this, so he's giving a, a summary of the church and then verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so you, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So, this guy, Titus, gets one letter from his mentor, Paul. And it's a big vision for all that the church of Jesus should be, all that the teachings of grace are in, in Christ. 
That, that yes, grace saves us, and yes, that grace trains us, and then he opens with the call for elders, which, in my opinion, seems weird. If I'm going to get a three-chapter letter from like my mentor and hero of the faith, why are you including qualifications for elders? Well, Paul knows something that we've all learned. It's just taken a little time. We've all learned that the primary way that the church, or that, we, that we're a learning people is by imitation. So the primary way the church is going to grow in grace, grow towards a grace that saves, grow towards a grace that trains, is by imitating people that believe and practice that same thing. We're all, we all grow up hearing, do as I say, not as I do, but we all know we end up watching others, learning from others by imitating others. And so Paul is saying the way the church is going to ensure that its teachings are uh, salvation by grace through faith that leads to a growing godliness is to appoint the right leaders. So this is who the right leaders are. This is verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may, by, he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So Paul, the first way Paul is going to help us, help Titus and, and help us become a, a church that protects the doctrine of, of a grace that saves and a grace that trains is by giving us the right qualifications for elders. The qualifications for elders or positional leaders in the church are men that have first been trained towards a godly life. That they've been saved by grace through faith and that they're trained in a godly life. And then he gives us this list of what that looks like. Some of those things on that list may seem obvious to you, but I really want to point not to every single one that would take too long, but to a theme of this list. And that is that elders, that the leaders of the church are to be others-oriented, that they're not in it for themselves. It's not a, a self-seeking position, but an others-oriented position. That's a pretty high call because of how our world defines leadership, how our world sees leadership. Because by and large, how our world sees leadership is that as we lead people, it's actually about ourselves. We ask questions like, how can I advance? Maybe how can I make more money? Leadership is the way to do that. How can I have more power or more influence? Leadership is the way to do that. How can I become more about myself, spend more time doing what I want to do? Leadership is the way to do that. Or maybe this is, this is more kind of how you view leadership. 
I want more leadership because my ideas are better or because I can create organizational efficiency, which those are good things, but at the center of that argument is self, my ideas, my thinking, my leadership. But that's not how church leadership works. That's not how God has designed church leadership to work. In its nature, eldership is about others. And how he starts that is by talking about their families. Why? Because we can all put on a show around other people. I can be a good leader. I can be high character around other people. But our true self is is exposed at home. I think we all know that, right? We're short with our roommates or with our family because we're comfortable. But elders, the qualifications for elders is that they're the type of leader at church that they are first at home. That it's not turning it on when they need to, it's being a person of high character all the time. They must not be greedy for gain. It's not about becoming an elder so that you can have more influence, so that you can have more positional leadership, so that you can come to church and introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm Colin, I'm an elder, believe it or not. Uh, But to say, hey, I'm Colin, how can I love and serve you and how can I love and serve this church? I love, I love how Paul starts his qualifications in verse 7. He says this, for an overseer or for an elder as God's steward. Elders don't see it as their church with their personality and their leadership, but that they're entrusted by God to lead his church. Which that's why the position of elder is so weighty. Because it's one thing to lead your own thing. Then it's pressure on you. It can be fun, maybe stressful at times, but if it all goes wrong, it's on you. It was your thing to begin with. But that's not how church leadership works. Church eldership is God entrusting elders to lead his thing. The church is his, and he entrusts them. And so being accountable to the God of the universe for something that he owns is a little different. It's a little weightier. And here's the way that they pursue that accountability. Because they have to be accountable to God, so they pursue that accountability by sitting, sitting under the teaching of God's word. That they're to be men that know their Bible, believe their Bible, teach others how to, how to read and follow what God says in his word, and are willing to correct based on what God's word says. So elders are the leaders of our church, but they're also members of our church. That's what makes it kind of unique is, is there, there are men that have figured out how to walk in grace and how to be trained by grace, but there are also men that are learning how to be trained by grace and are figuring it out and are sitting under teaching like anyone else. So how I thought about this or what I, I was reminded of this idea um, recently when NBA legend uh, Bill Russell passed away. So if you don't know Bill Russell, he's the greatest uh, NBA champion of, of all time, but one of the things he's most known for is he spent three years with the Boston Celtics, not only as a player, but also as a coach at the same time. It, it was a little thing they called player coaches. It doesn't happen in the NBA anymore, but Bill Russell was simultaneously a player on the team 
and the coach of the team. So what his goal was, was to help other players be the best they could be. Help them to become the best basketball players they could be. Design plays, design the organization so that the team would succeed while simultaneously he's working on his own basketball game. He's trying to become the best player he can be. And that's a little bit how, it, how eldership works, that they're a part of the church, that they're working to be trained in godliness, to grow their character, to become, to become more godly people, and yet they're also the ones entrusted by God to, to lead our church, to help us become more godly people. And so when we think of elders, I think a lot of times we want a, a great picture of what this should look like. And Salt City, we have this amazing opportunity that we don't have to look outside of our church to see what this should look like, but we get to look inside of our church to see what this should look like. Our elders are unbelievable men of God that I am so personally thankful for. Uh, our church is is grateful for, I know it, uh, because they are, they are amazing men. Uh, our two most recent elders, Josh and Dave, um, man, they're, they're, they're incredible men of God. Our, uh, our staff elders, Jordan and Drew, uh, have just so faithfully taught the Bible and served uh, this church. And then uh, Rob and Terry, who don't work for Salt City, but um, have been around for a almost the whole life of Salt City and have been like the rock of our church. Uh, one of the, them that I'm just like super grateful for because I've known him the longest is Rob Wassenaar. So he, he's who I just mentioned. Uh, he has been an elder of our church from the, from the beginning. And I actually met Rob when I was a freshman in high school. So Rob served as uh, the dean of students at the high school that I went to. And so I met Rob when I was a, when I was a freshman. And uh, throughout the last long stretch of time, uh, Rob has just become an incredible godly example to me. Uh, he walked me through a, a family cancer diagnosis. He's prayed with me and pointed me to the Bible. He's baptized me. He showed me grace. He, like sh he, he forgave me when I was in the wrong and he encouraged me when, when days were hard. Uh, he just like loved and prayed for this 14-year-old uh, this punk that he met when I showed up in high school. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for him. So uh, he actually gave me this Bible when I was a freshman in, uh, in high school. And I just want to read uh, what he wrote in the, in the inside cover. He says, Colin, I'm excited for the years ahead. And look forward to watching you grow in the Lord and become a warrior for him. May, may he richly bless you as you study these pages of God's holy word. Yours in Christ, Mr. Walsh. And I know when he gave me this Bible, he, he just prayed for me. He prayed over this Bible. He hoped I would open this Bible. And it's not quite falling apart, but it has some wear on it because... <laughs> Throughout the years, I did open the Bible, and, and I think a lot of that is because Rob was just faithful in, in praying for me, in walking with me, um, in, in serving me. And that's true of our elders. 
Rob's just an example of that. And so the two applications, pretty, pretty simple. Uh, first, be just thankful for our elders and tell them thank you. If you don't know them, uh, they're, they're around um, often. Jordan and Drew, um, they're, they're awesome, and I'm, I'm super thankful for them. They pray for you guys. Would you guys pray for them? I know that they would just so appreciate that. They're dependent on prayer as they lead our church and make, make the, the best decisions uh, they, they know how and, and that the Spirit has empowered them to make. Uh, they really are gifts of grace from God for our church. Uh, second, the, the list of the qualifications for eldership should humble us. Like we should look at that and, and be humbled that, man, I'm humbled. In a, almost all those ways, I, I don't add up to what it, what it requires, what it would require of me to be an elder, to, to be an overseer of God's ch- church. And yet it's also something I look at and I aspire to. This is what uh, 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So just imagine if the men in our church looked at that list and both were humbled by it, but also aspired to it. Would, every, would everyone in, our, in the church be an elder? No. But I think our church would be really healthy and our church would really honor Jesus if we ran after this list. But that's, that's like a future-oriented one day. That would be amazing, but that's not where we all are. So we need elders, which is where Paul continues. This is verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So Paul is sending Titus out to appoint elders in this place, but uh, this this island of Crete is is full of uh, Jewish Christians who believe a lot of the things Titus is teaching, but don't want to conform their lives to his leadership, to the leadership of the Bible. They, They too tightly hold on to tradition. He continues, verse 11, they must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Uh, Bet you didn't think that was in your Bible. Um, And then Paul goes on to say, this testimony is true. So he's quoting someone else and then says, this is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. So Paul is highlighting, bolding, underlining all, everything above, the, the need for elders, and this is it. These people need lots of help, like lots of help, right? That's what Paul is saying to Titus, that you're, he's on this island called Crete, and he's charged with appointing Cretans, people among them, to help lead the church, which Paul, frankly, doesn't seem like he's a great friend to Titus right here. Like, hey, there's this rowdy island people, and all they do is create chaos, and they won't listen to you, but try to find someone among them to help lead with you. So good luck here. See ya. Bye. Like, that's kind of what Paul does. Um, And and these Cretans have, have a reputation for their lifestyle by their own 
words. They refer to themselves as evil beasts. It just does not seem to be the most strategic place to plant a church. So this is what it would be like. Uh, for those of you that are new to Salt City, we're planting a church. It's awesome. Jordan, uh, Pastor Jordan's going out and moving to, to West Lafayette with some of you in the room uh, to start um, a new church there, uh, reaching students at Purdue University. But what you may not know is that Pastor Drew grew up in West Lafayette, uh, grew up around Purdue. And so this, this, imagine this was the scenario where Jordan, you know, hey, Drew, I think I, I, God's calling me to plant a church you know, maybe I'm going to West Lafayette, Drew's awesome. I actually know some of the people here. I'd, I'd use uh, six words to describe them. Always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Good luck. <laughs> it's kind of what's happening, a little bit. And in the midst of, that's like the context that, that this letter is, is going out in. I mean, it seems like this is the worst place to find people for to lead with. Paul goes on to write, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So the Christians see the grace of God, maybe, but they have no desire to model the character of God. Absolutely none. Their lives are far from a life of integrity. And I think this is true of the context of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, that when you look at the scope of our city, it is, it is fairly uh, religious, even if uh, it's, it doesn't always conform to what the Bible says. Uh, there, there's a lot of religion in our city, belief uh, people have in our city. And yet, and, it, and yet it's a city that in a lot of ways is far from God. And yet Salt City was planted here. But it's not just that the city looks like those of the Cretans, but I think in my own heart, there's Cretan in me. That I am prone to believe in God and yet take hold of my own traditions. Take hold of my own ambitions without conforming them to what God's word says or to the leadership that has been entrusted over me. Like, I see the wayward ways of my own life. My need for elders to, to help guide and correct me. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us walk into the room this morning with some level of creation in us. Maybe we have a tendency to lie in order to protect our own self-image. Maybe lie of omission. I'm not going to share what's really going on in my life. Maybe some sin or brokenness in order to protect my own religiosity, my own appearance of religion. We have an evil beast inside of us that we use religion or church going or being members at Salt City to mask a secondary ambition or a different ambition than knowing Christ intimately. We want to use it for another gain, and we all have a little lazy glutton in us. A tendency to binge the things of this world, whether food or Netflix or the stock market, as opposed to doing the things of God, seeing and serving those around us. We all have some creation in us, and it consists in me. Like without godly authority above me, 
given to me, I would quickly be given over to, to, uh, to the creation that does live in me. And those desires would end up destroying my life as a result of sin. So I need someone above me because we are far more sinful than I think we often realize. Like there, there's, there's a lot of sin hidden within us than we often realize. Um, one of the ways I have thought about kind of my own uh, need for elders and, and just how sinful I am is recently uh, my in-laws came to town and I, I'm going to be very honest with this, this uh, room, moment of authenticity. Our house just was disastrous. Uh, it really was not clean at all. And so we did the whole like straightening without cleaning technique. Uh, so we have this one closet that's kind of the everything closet. I don't know if you have that. Maybe it's a drawer for you. We have a closet. It's an everything closet. So it was like Rachel and I almost assembly lining things in our, in our living room into the closet, you know. And uh, we have a newer house, and so they, they were, like, checking it out. We'd, we'd done some work. So, you know, when you're checking out a house, you open every door. And, you know, you're doing the thing where you're, like, leaning against the door. No, don't worry about it. Like, it's clean. And they ended up opening it. Just <laughs> practically things fell out. I, maybe I'm just exposing myself, but maybe, maybe you do the same thing. Here, here's, what, here's what that revealed to me, is that we need people in our lives people we trust to do like deep cleans of who we are, uh, to open the closets we sometimes want to protect uh, because that, those things that are in the closet of our hearts are the things that if gone unchecked will destroy our lives. And so we need elders, we need people in leadership that are trusted, people of character to open the closets of our hearts and to help walk with us, uh, to, to, be, to help train us towards godliness. So just like kind of a, a side reflection of this is that Paul tells Titus to plant a church in a place that really isn't strategic for the gospel, uh, and yet despite the sin in that place, Titus plants the church anyways. And the same thing is true of Salt City. Really, come on, Minneapolis, not a very strategic place to start a movement of God. Uh, there's a lot of religion, and yet a lot of people far from God, and yet uh, Drew and, and the, the team that, that started was just like convinced that God wanted to do something here, and I'm so thankful for them. Um, I see my own growth because Salt City was planted here. Um, I see when I look back five years ago, um, I'm not... I'm not the man I was. Like, I will be the first one at that five-year celebration, hands up, clapping, cheering, not, not because Salt City is awesome, but because God chose to use Salt City and the faithful ministry of our elders to change people's lives, one of them being, being mine. Uh, so I just praise God for the work that he's done in this church and the transforming power of grace that our elders have faithfully taught and exemplified. But... What's true is that this, this grace looks different for all types of people. So we're, we're going to wrap up quickly with, with Paul's words to, to different types of people. This is what uh, Titus 2, verse 2 says. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. 
They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, walking, uh, working at the home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may, be, may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, show yourself in all respect, to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So Paul's writing to Titus, who's a young pastor, and he's saying, hey, there, there's, a, there's a different word for different types of people, because in th- this island, there were, there were a multi-generational uh, body of believers that, that Titus was trying to pastor. And what I love about our church is that we, too, are a multi-generational church, people in different life stages with different life experience. Um, and that's, I think, one of the most beautiful ways the goodness of God is shown is, is by a, a diversity of people sitting under the teaching and being changed by grace, being trained in grace. That the fullness of God's word is exemplified in people in all sorts of life stages. And so just want to talk to a couple people in the room. First, want to talk to the older generation of men and women. Um, I'm not going to give an age because I like my job. (laughs) You know who you are, I'm guessing. Uh, The instruction is pretty simple. Live well with the life experience that God has given to you. The way God has designed the world to work is that we learn things over time, over years, through suffering. And so there are, there's an older generation of people in this room that have learned the things that only time and suffering can teach. And so our, our church needs you. Uh, we, we need you to, to help teach us to walk in, in the ways that have been helpful to you. We also need you to to help us avoid pitfalls, landmines that maybe you stepped on that that you can help us avoid. We need you to share your life experience and and help walk us as we look to be trained in grace. But more than that, I want to say thank you because the the older generation of uh, people at Salt City have really just been been a rock to our church. you guys have, have helped um, and encouraged my faith and have helped me see the, the beauty of God's church and the beauty of the gospel um, in a way that I couldn't otherwise. We, we are a church that seeks to love college students. We talked about that this morning. And inevitably, we end up helping a lot of young professionals transition into the workforce. And we love, love, love that ministry. But we do not want to be a church exclusively for college students and exclusively for young professionals. We we want and, in fact, feel like we need a multi-generational church in order to reach uh, college students. And so just want to say thank you uh, for believing in, in what God's doing here at Salt City, for uh, sticking with our church and, and helping our church grow into the fullness of what God has for it. The younger generation, specifically those of you that are in college or fresh out of college, um, model your life after the people, the godly people in this church that have gone before you. Um, I, I, have st- I have like started that process and it, it's just been so um, 
so helpful to see godly men and start modeling my life after uh, godly men or for women, modeling your life after um, godly women. Because we live in a world that insists that the next generation is smarter, knows more, is more technologically advanced, which maybe that is true. Uh, but for the rest of it, I think we, we oversell that, that younger people, because they're in school or whatever, advanced in education, have more wisdom and knowledge. I just don't think that's true. There's so much wisdom in Paul's words to Titus and Paul's words to us that can save us from a lot of hurt in our life if we just model our life after godly people, uh, godly older people, and listen to them and uh, even help encourage them. Because here's what's true. If you uh, share with them what you're learning and share with them ways that they've encouraged you and you've modeled your life after them and it seems to be going well, that'll actually encourage their faith. That'll encourage them to to keep going and and to follow Jesus. So we see the need for each other. We need older people to to provide wisdom to younger people. And we need younger people to to keep the energy and the zeal alive in our church. And to encourage the older people that, that, hey, keep, keep going. Because the goodness and grace of Jesus is so sweet. Um, and that's seen so evidently in, in new uh, believers and, and people that are still figuring it out. And so Salt City, see, see the role that you have. Be an encouragement to those around you. And don't let your encouragement be siloed to those in your generation. But allow uh, this church to be a multi-generational church that's full of encouragement, that's full of shared wisdom and lessons, that's full of ways that we can help each other by the Spirit be trained in grace towards godliness. I think God is really honored by this church. Um, and so would, would you join me as we pray that God would continue to to seek provision for our elders as we transition into a new school year and into a building? And would you pray with me that we would not settle for simply a grace that saves us from our sin, but that trains us in godliness? God, I'm so thankful for um, the men that you've given to our church uh, to entrust the leadership to, Josh, Dave, um, Pastor Jordan, Pastor Drew, and uh, Rob, Terry. Uh, They're just such incredible men of God. And for the, the other uh, older generation of folks that are here at Salt City that have committed to being a part of a church that reaches uh, the next generation, I'm so thankful for the ways that they've modeled a, a training grace and that we can model our lives after them. God, would you, you know what our church needs. Would you provide, um, would you provide what we need, and would you help us to see your grace, not only in its saving power, but in its training power, and as we leave this morning, would we be compelled to uh, continue in godliness? Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.